Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, hello. Welcome to uh, another Crash MotoGP podcast post the America's Grand Prix, which saw, spoiler alert, Mark Marquez take his second win of the season ahead of Fabio Quartararo and Pecco Bagnaia. We'll, of course, be discussing just how they did it. Plus, will we ever return to the circuit of the Americas next year after nearly all the riders stated the track surface needs to be changed? Otherwise, they will not be coming back. A look at Moto2 and another scary incident in Moto3, whereby some miracle all the riders involved walked away. Keith and Pete are ready to roll. So let's get into it, uh, Keith, shall we? And let's start, I think, at the top with our winner, Mark Marquez. Need I remind you both, Pete actually had him down for the win, but I don't think anybody expected him to do it in such a dominant style by four and a half seconds, I think it was, by the end. He's such a smart bottom, that Pete, isn't he? Hey? <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, it was a very good call. I mean, uh, it, it's a situation where fitness on a track like that, and it was a, it was even more impressive considering the state of the circuit, and now you're having to motocross across it. I mean, like, for a man who's supposed to be weakened in, in some way, shape, or form, like he is, to ride like he did was damned impressive. Um, the track was in terrible order. It's been in terrible order for years. You know, the fastest lap ever done around there was back in like 2014 or something. So the fact is the track is deteriorating. Now, there's been all sorts of reasons about it being because it was done on clay, clay shrinks, so the track moves with it and so on and so forth. But I was reading an article that Jano Cefeli put out, the guy who's Dromo, who's the head of Dromo, who who sorted out Silverstone and sorted out various other tracks around the world, Sepang being one of them as well, quite a famous one that was in a bit of trouble. Comes up with some quite good ideas. I mean, he fixed Argentina as well, Termas de Riondo. I think he did uh, that place, which is a you know a renowned track. We all love it out there, and the riders do as well. He didn't seem to be of the impression that the subsoil, if you like, was the, was the big cause of it. He's just basically in code, as these guys would be, is they made a crap job of laying the top surface on whatever there was there. You know, when you take the top surface off, you see what the you know, subsurface is, you sort that out, and then you lay the top on it. Um, Silverstone, if you remember, and I know Pete will, and Harry, I'm sure you will as well, um, the big deal there was they were saying because it was built over the old runways and the old concrete slabs, that was the reason why you'd got the movement that you'd got there in the ripples. And Cefeli, you know, no. If you use the right contractors and the right material, you get the surface you want. And Silverstone seems to have stood up since Dromo got involved, since Cefeli's company got involved. It just seems like 
there may have been a corner cut somewhere early on when they laid the track and they've tried to patch it ever since and it hasn't worked. I mean, they diamond cut it at one time, if you remember, and then, you know, multi-million pound motorbikes were shot blasted for the first two days. You know, everything just destroyed the front of the forks, the front of the fairing, you know, millions of pounds worth of damage done to, to MotoGP bikes, among others, um, just because they hadn't cleaned it up properly. Big dust storms behind every bike that was going down that back straight, which isn't a straight. So... The problem is there's no money. You know, Circuit of the Americas, Cota, the big best track in America, really. You know, Indy's not that exciting. Laguna Seca, you can't do anything with it. It's in a park, which means you can't take a tree out or, or cut a bank away to make it safe. You've only really got Cota, um, but it needs millions of pounds spending on it. And that <laughs> they don't have. You know, it's looked like it's teetering on the edge of failing for some time. And... You know, slap them with a new surface. And we know that Dorna, despite the fact they want to be in America, it's crucial for them to be in that market. Um, we've seen that they can be quite ruthless and they will dump a track off the edge if you're not going to resurface it when all the riders are about to riot. So do you think that's a, a serious uh, thing where we, we will not return if, if things are done, if things aren't done? 100%. That's, that would be my view of it, yes. Um, you know, you can't keep... <laughs> As you might know, not that you'll care, but I was doing the old BSB at the weekend again from Donington Park, and we had a bit of rain there, and the guys were falling down in a straight line on the brakes in certain areas where there'd been a bit of overbanding and the odd patch here and there. You know, it's and it, you didn't get a rider revolt. I've got to say that that um, Stuart Higgs, race director Jonathan Palmer, obviously the leaseholder for that place for twenty one years since twenty seventeen. You know, they got their heads together and we had reasonable weather on the Sunday, so it was okay. But the fact is, is that there has been now a warning shot fired at Donington. Um, we've had warning shots fired at the Red Bull Ring for exactly the same thing. That, that, you know, when a rider can't find the grip at the front end when you're breaking into a corner, that's dangerous. Yeah, tracks are slippery. We all know that. If it's consistent slipperiness all the way around and so on and so forth, then that's fine. But when you've got a no-chance situation that you can save a motorbike in a straight line, then there is a problem with Cota, you've got these bumps. Honestly, to ride the way they were having to ride over them, front and rear wheels leaping off the ground, it was like a supercross in places at, you know, 120 plus mile an hour in, in some places. It's um it's asking too much of the bike and the riders, and it's deme it's demeaning our sport. You know, our sport is accuracy. It's not about getting over a load of lumps. It's you know, it's using a, a road race bike as a motocross bike. It's it's not about that. It's about being able to use the tools properly. And Cota will be in trouble next year, and I'm absolutely sure that they will have to resurface at least, you know, from turn one right the way down to turn 11, I think they were talking about, to uh, to get it right. Yeah, or we might be going back. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how it unfolds, uh, won't it, Pete? Because, I mean, some of the riders think we're even tempted to, to try and almost boycott it perhaps this weekend, weren't they? A few speaking out, but not really any traction there. Some calling to try and shorten the length of the race, the race this weekend, but that was kind of laughed off, apparently. But still, they did start the race. No major incidents as a result of the bumps, it seemed to be. But uh, the, And the top three sort of coming out on top there. What were the riders' reactions as well throughout the weekend? Were there any saying post-race, actually, that, you know what, well, we got through it but still we're not coming back I, I think it was a bit of shock on the first day I think that's you know obviously as the, the weekend goes on they can work on the bikes and they can you know they, they get experience at the track things like that so they can kind of make the best of it if you like 
Um, as you say, after the first day, certainly Alicia Spargo made clear if there was a vote held, he would say, I'm not racing. And he went on to fall, I think it was five times over the weekend. So, you know, he had a, he had a miserable time. But, you know, there were other guys, as always, Jack Miller, you know, the guys that are fast will say, well, you know, it's OK. Um, I mean, Jack, as we know, is a is a renowned off-road rider. And I, I can't help but think that, you know, his Keith mentioned Supercross. I mean, Jack's got plenty of knowledge of launching a bike at, at big bumps and lumps. And uh, I think he probably just just dealt with it better in terms of he, some riders seem to go in, in a circle in that they, they might soften the bike to try and deal with the bumps, but then it makes it, them slower and then they end up stiffening it again and they end up sort of back where they are, where they began. But I think Jack just sort of, you can't get around them. That, as Keith was saying, the problem is where these these bumps are located. It was in some really fast corners, some of the most quickest corners on the track, and and there's no way to sort of avoid them. You have to just sort of make the best of hitting them and hold on. I mean, the, Brad Binder was saying the G forces when you were hitting these undulations is what they almost call them. It's it's not sort of a normal bump, is what the riders say. Um, but yeah, they all got through it okay. Nobody, as we saw, no one actually fell in the race, thankfully, on the bumps and took everyone else out, which was obviously a worry earlier on. But so yeah, everyone got through it. Mark Marquez somehow dealt with all of these bumps and, and, and you know, even with his physical condition and, and dominated. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, I picked him for the win, but I certainly wouldn't have picked him to win by four and four and a half seconds in that way. I mean, that was exceptional. And uh but again, those those the bumpy track, it's 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 a Marquez sort of thing again, isn't it? Where it's that sort of street fighter riding style of just manhandling the bike around. And it's good to see for, from his physical point of view that he can go the distance on such a tough track. I mean, yes, it's an anti-clockwise track, but it's such a long track, 20 corners, that there's probably more right-hand corners than there are on a lot of clockwise tracks. So, you know, it was a real test for him. He's, he's come out of this well. He's now got two wins on anti-clockwise tracks. We saw him have the fourth place in Mizano, so that was the best he's done on a clockwise track. Let's see if he can, you know, finish the season. Portimao coming up will be an important test for him. That was where he came back at the start of the year, a really twisty right-hand track. We'll be going back there in a couple of races. You know, how much better will his shoulder be? It'll be a good comparison for him, especially to see, you know, how much he has improved. It's step by step. He's a long way off being fully fit, but, you know, this is, it's another victory. It's a big boost for him and, um, you know, He's obviously looking to next year now. I mean, it's um, it's make what you can of this year. There's a lot of work being done on on Mark on the bike, and uh, you know this is this is another boost for them, a reward for them on what's been you know a pretty punishing year really for Honda and Mark. What was impressive with Mark was what he did. He waited until the tire dropped off so it would slide around. He didn't use it when it was at its grippiest because he knew that could be dangerous and flick him off. I was amazed at that. I mean, obviously, we weren't at, at, in Texas, so you couldn't see it firsthand or understand it firsthand. But when he explained after the race what he'd done and we could see how he waited for that tyre to drop off, the grip level to drop off so that he could manage it sliding better. It suited his style. It suited the safety aspect of things better once it had lost some of its grip. I mean, how often do you hear a rider say that? Normally complaining like Mary Hell about drop-off. Um so it was really, really very impressive. When he went to Portimao, I don't think he'd been to Portimao before, had he? It was the first time he'd been there as well. So it was a new track on, on you know, really trick track as well, Portimao. So this time around, he's got all the data as well. You know, and with this kind of form that he's pulling at the moment, you know, Mizano next up as well. You know, tell you what, he's on for a really bright end of season, I think, Mar Marquez. Start betting on him, I feel. 
Yeah, why would you leave them out of your top three? What, what idiot would do that in their predictions? God knows. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who I didn't leave out of my top three, though. Um, Fabio Quartararo, because uh, you'd be a fool as well to leave him out, wouldn't you? And, uh, you know, it, to be to be fair, I think when Marquez got in the lead and started edging out, it kind of became a little bit of a, a sedated race, especially in it the was. top half. It was boring, you know. Harry. Oh, well, say I, it as you, it is. Yeah, you can say that. I'm just... I'm, I'm playing the field. <laughs> it it was a boring race. And I mean, I was. think Quattararo was really happy to take 20 points out of it. Really happy to take 20 points out of it. He said it's his best um, second place I, ever, I think. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, and I think that's the nature of that track as it was. I think, you know, bravery. I mean, I think they're all coming away at the end of the day. Happy to have took what they took out of it, the the, mm. the top guys. I mean, Bagnaia now, he's got an uphill struggle to be able to do anything with that. I thought Bagnaia, I thought Jack Miller. I can't remember which order I put everybody in when we did our predictions last time around, but nobody could have predicted the track to be in such appalling condition. Mm. And when it comes down to bravery rather than skill, I mean, look, Valentino, last time he goes to Texas, you know, that was one of the worst rides you've ever seen. But why would you want to push your luck at his age, child on the way, all the things he's got to look forward to now? Why would you? Uh, and I think that there are varying degrees of that through the grid. Alicia Spargro, you know, you're right. Five times I think he fell over. Mm. You know, if you fall over once, it doesn't matter if it's at 30 mile an hour, you hurt yourself. You know, it's all, I think it's a kind of misconception that most people watching TV, you know, see these guys roll over, airbag pops up and away you go, you know, it's, it's no big deal. Sometimes that's true. Most times that's not true. You pull a ligament, you twist an arm, you, you know, you get a, you get a, a clouting, you know, you fall over at um, at 30 mile an hour and you get that. Uh, so five times, he must feel like he's been through a tumble dryer. <laughs> I, yeah, I think uh, you make a very valid point there. And you mentioned Jack Miller, of course. I think it's worth touching on him as well because, you know, he looked like the man to beat at one stage throughout the weekend and then it kind of all came apart throughout qualifying. But, you know, had a great rise up through uh, the grids uh, during the early parts of the race. What did you make of... Miller's form during the race and then equally what did you make of uh, the little uh, letting Bang Nia through was that team orders do you think or was it more of a just let just go mate I'm not in this fight he hadn't got the pace I think it will have been a, a mixture of both I mean there's no way that he would have held up Bang Nia unnecessarily um, in that situation uh, he did it very neatly did it very respectfully I don't think it was a major problem I don't you see I don't have a problem with team orders when we get into this stage of the year sometimes you just have to have to put them out there um, particularly if you're holding up if you're making it hard work. Um, you know, poor old Jack. I did like the bit with him and Joao Mir at the end of it all. I thought that's going to turn out a bit... You, know, you saw Mir giving it a bit of that, you know, sorry. Um, but Miller won't really have any of the helmet because they'd already well, had a bit of form. <laughs> there already been a right, bit of form between them. So um, I'm glad Jack didn't didn't whack him, but I thought that might be coming. <laughs> when he got hold of his helmet, you know, that, that's like, I can't think of the um, equivalent I think it's probably like getting older someone in the nether regions when you get older someone by the by the front yeah. of there. You know, it's it's like this is serious, mate. <laughs> well, it was uh, yes, it was uh, certainly a bit of a, a, a fractious end uh, to Miller's race, and uh, he got his place back though. He, he did his get his back. pace back. We should say that actually, yes, because Mir did get a penalty and uh, that did uh, force him to drop down a place. Um, yeah, although of course Bastianini got by them both. Well, so, yes. Great little that, ride from Bastianini, who didn't get much <laughs> airtime, actually. So I think it went a little bit unnoticed almost to, to the casual viewer. But what a ride again impressive. for Bastianini. 
He's been pretty impressive, Bastianini, over the last couple of Grand Prix, I've got to say. And uh, gifts like that don't often come your way. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting close to Christmas. I'm sure he appreciated it. Absolutely. Um, while we're on uh, sort of uh, Miller, and we'll just hop across to Pramac, shall we? And uh, equally, what happened at the end for Jorge Martin, that little skirt across the, the runoff area? Do you think that was also a genuine mistake? Because I know there was some debate on that as well. And then, of course, he did get no, a long was, lap penalty. It wasn't. I, I mean, I think at the top, you could see he just had a little bit of a bobble and he picked it up and went down there. I, I think genuinely... It was a mistake. It was, you know, and he had to take to that. But you still have to give up a certain amount of time, and he didn't. So at the end of the day, he got a penalty. So both things. It wasn't um, that wasn't an attempt at team orders. I think it would. I think he'd have played it a little bit neater than that, and a little bit more intelligently than that. But um, and just there, it's bloody fast coming down that hill. So to to make it look like the thing had um, lost grip, and <clears throat> he was giving it to a teammate. I don't think that. I think um, it was unfortunate. But again, he was showing great form, wasn't he? on a difficult track. Yeah, I think he's still suffering a bit, isn't he, from these injuries earlier in the year. And as you said earlier, you know, such a physical place, Kota. And so certainly by the by the closing laps of the race, it's no surprise to see he's starting to struggle a bit to hold onto the bike. Tyres that have lost their grip and it just let go and that was that. And, and then, yeah, he just got caught out like many riders with, you know, the instinct is obviously you go off track, you want to get back on as quick as possible, don't you? And, you know, he just... Uh, he just went a bit too fast and got that one place penalty. But I, I think Banyaya would have got by him anyway. So I don't think it really changed the outcome. No, well, Ducati will have been pleased anyway. It will definitely be on their Christmas card list. <laughs> I think Ducati have a fair few cards to write uh, this year. As someone who did seem to be struggling perhaps as well, uh, coming back from injury, um, Franco Morbidelli, uh, last of the runners, the classified runners, and just looked to be quite off the pace and considering to become more and more off the pace as the race went on and that looked like he, what he was just you know probably quite in quite a lot of pain do you think you know he finished behind uh Petrucci about 40 nearly 50 seconds uh behind uh the leaders uh so what do you make of uh Morbidelli's run he's still got a long way to go hasn't he he's intelligent he's not going to risk it at a place like Kota you know that that could go spectacularly wrong the Yamaha you know best Yamaha Quattararo nobody seems to make it go like Quattararo does at the moment why would you risk an injury this time of the season that you've got to get over during the winter? I think the Morbidelli just rode prudently in the situation he was in. Stone last, though. You would still expect him to have a little bit more pace than that, or I would. Yeah, and you, you look again, as you say, second best Yamaha is, is Davizioso in, what, 13th place? I mean, it's the, the, the gulf between Quattararo and the other Yamahas is... It's quite incredible, isn't it? And it, it, it's just the difference between, between someone riding right at the top of their game and then you've got the other guys who are either unfamiliar with the bike, battling injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Yamaha have got a fight on their hands in terms of the other two championships, of course. I mean, Ducati have now taken the lead of the teams and the constructors. So, you know, Quattararo, he can, he can give Yamaha the rider's title. He can probably give them the constructors because that's just the, the top finishing rider from each manufacturer. But, you know, more, talking to Morbidelli, they're going to hope that Morbidelli will be getting in the points in his last races to help them get this team's title back from Ducati with, with um, you know, Miller and Bagnaia being so consistently matched at the top. Yeah. Team um, thing makes a big difference to the manufacturers, doesn't it? Manufacturers' trophies are, are more important to the manufacturers than any rider's world championship. Um, it's always heralded by the, by the manufacturers and all the rest of us don't take any notice of it. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a bit of a shame, really. Um, 
But that's how it is. I mean, we're all, we're all interested in rider championships, where um, where manufacturers are obviously more interested in um, the manufacturer's pot. Um, but there you go. Each to their own, I suppose. That's the way it is, isn't it? Sometimes we've had a question come in actually from um, Sleepwalker eighty six hundred. Thank you for your uh, question, Sleepwalker, um, who wants to bring up uh, Taka Nakagami. He says, "Poor old Taka, he just can't seem to get on the podium at all." And it did seem like you know Nakagami was really showing some some aggressive fight in the opening couple in the opening stages, where perhaps he hasn't previously done that so often. But ultimately, it quite literally slid away from him. He still came home uh, 17th in the end, ahead of Petrucci and Morbidelli. But, I mean, well, poor old Taka. Well, there was only two people putting in those times at the end of the race, was Takagami, Taka Nakagami, and your race leader, Marcus. He was matching Marcus's times at one point uh, late in the race, having remounted. So him being on the podium should have been an actual fact by the, the actual lap times that he was covering in the race, in the actual race except he gave him all a head start by having to pick his bike up and uh, get back in the race. Nakagami just seems to make these kind of unforced errors. You know, you, 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 you hear what Marquez did, waited until the tyre dropped off and then got into it slowly but surely. You know, sometimes a bit of discretion early on. And I, you've seen it so many times at Kota where the, somebody makes that mistake early on and that's their race done. Even Marquez, the last time we were there, fell over at the top of the hill, didn't he? I mean, and couldn't restart. It's... Uh, even he can make that kind of mistake on that kind of track. And Nakagami again, you know, I, I feel sorry for him, but I don't. It's his job. You know, this is what he does. He should have this sorted out. He's obviously got pace um, and he's not capitalising on that pace, which manufacturers will put up with for a little while because, you know, finding a fast guy that, that can, can run the times is quite hard. But if that guy never, you know, converts those into actual podiums and race wins then eventually they will let him go whatever his nationality and whatever his um, embeddedness in the team yeah I've got a, a big thing written down on my notes here being which says what happened to and uh, one of the names is Miguel Oliveira um, and what what has happened to him over the last? I know we've had this conversation before. You know, it, you know, perhaps it is family life. Perhaps it's something else as well that's all playing a part here. But you know, actually, eleventh is is not too bad considering Brad Binder was in ninth. But he looked like nowhere in qualifying compared. And and this is sort of a, a run of poor form when Oliveira was on top of his game not too long ago. Being in MotoGP is bloody hard work. The travel, the stress, the pressure of what's going on behind the scenes, traveling in the manner that they're traveling at the moment. And eventually it brings you down. When you get to a racetrack, you get there on a Wednesday, you do your bits and pieces with your team and your PR. Thursday is the press conference. You're doing more stuff all the time. Friday, free practice. You're qualifying for qualifying as it is now with the system as it is. Qualifying on Saturday. You're worried about setup. You're worried about... By the time you get to Sunday, you're knackered absolutely knackered the day you need to be on the top performance you are at your worst physically you know you've been sweating about it for the last four days you know you're out of your time zone as well i know it's only five hours difference you know in texas five or six isn't it and it's a it's really hard work so when you get to your race you're probably at your worst form and this time of the year the year's running out if you've not really if your performance levels are slipping and you're you know you're already looking to next year and that, that's a bad mistake to make because every lap you turn at this level, 
you have got to perfect. You have got to get better. You have got to try and make every lap count. Every time you cock your leg over that bike, you've got to look at an improvement in some way, shape or form or gathering data that's going to improve the next time you're on it. There are no time. You don't get no time off. You don't get a time where you can afford to be slack, where you can let your mind drift. You've got to be on it all of the time. Yeah, we talk about mental health quite often here, don't we? Because it is a, it is an in vogue sort of situation. Not that it's never been, but now everybody talks about it. And your mental health situation affects your performance. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? You know, are you a bit down in the dumps because you're not pulling the times? You've got to get over all this stuff. This is what makes people like Marquez unbelievably. I, I got trolled when I said, you know, I can't remember what I said now on Twitter, but anyway, you can look it up on my timeline if you want to. But, um, I was just so impressed. I mean, so impressed that he did what he did. And then somebody says, I'm a brown nose. I mean, what kind of idiot would actually write that? Who could not be impressed with what Marquez just did? I mean, if, if you're not impressed by what he just did, then forget it. Go and watch badminton or something. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't understand it. I really don't. I mean, Marquez is a remarkable human being. He has an injury that would have finished anyone else. I don't know anyone else that would have got through what he's got through to get back to where he is now on a motorbike that's a bit of an animal. I mean, God help us all next year. If that Honda is anything like good uh, and Marquez is sort of 95% fit, um, you know, watch out everyone else. It's going to be a difficult year in 2022 for you. It certainly will be, won't it? I think also just on Oliveira, I think it was almost that false dawn where they, they bought that new chassis and they had that great run just before the summer break and Oliveira won in Barcelona and everything was looking great. But I think they're starting to think now we've seen some more chassis updates, which I, and I think that's because the first signs were probably the Red Bull ring where they, they had a really great run last year and obviously won their first race and they sort of didn't have a great weekend this time. And I think it sort of was the first sign that, hang on, maybe this chassis that looks so good just before the summer break, maybe it's not sort of the, the silver bullet that we thought it was. And so they've, they've now started doing some more tweaks to the bike. So I think combined with everything else, Oliveira had that, that sort of awkward fall at the Red Bull ring and, and, and a bit of an injury. And then, you know, they're, they're still trying to get the bike working. It looks like it's, as I say, it looked like they, they, they'd done so well to turn around a really tough weekend in, in Qatar into a race-winning bike by Barcelona. But it seems like it wasn't, let's say consistently fast and they're still looking for something so it's a it's tough season really for ktm they have won that race but i think after last year you know we all thought they would they would continue that trajectory if you like in which case they would have been fighting for the championship this year it hasn't worked out that way and i think they're going to have to sort of reset and you know has the loss of concessions also been you know a a big issue for them they've had to you know they said it wouldn't be but you know it's certainly that's that's something that's changed this year hasn't it but yeah i think they're going to have to maybe look at look at all aspects of their project and, and, and analyze where things have sort of gone, gone astray this year, because the, the, the upward rise has certainly sort of flattened off a bit, hasn't it? Clever people at KTM though. And they've got a lot of really good staff there. Um, I'm pretty confident that they'll turn it. Um, that's the combination, isn't it? I mean, you, you quite often think to yourself, is it the bike? Is it the rider? What's the combination of what? It's such a moving target. The goalposts all the time are just shifting backwards and forwards. It's like if we go to World Superbikes at the moment, which is having a renaissance, isn't it? This year is absolutely brilliant, World Superbikes. You know, Johnny Ray, Jonathan Ray, got penalised basically because he was so good. Kawasaki loses revs because Jonathan was making that bike look better. And now everyone's screaming and shouting, wanting the Yamaha to get penalised because Top Rack is making it look so good. You know, 
you can't penalise riders for being good. And this is where it's so tricky in that if you manipulate the rules to try and flatten the curve, if you try and manipulate the rules to try and give us close racing all of the time, you can't penalise riders for being a cut above. Um, so it remains to be seen where KTM managed to come back, what they will have once we've got this. Well, again, I said it before, you know, we only have a limited amount of testing. There might be a whole load of new innovations that come in our way by the time we start next year. But once we get to Qatar, that's it. That's your cutoff point. You've got if you've not found something immediately in those tests, um, you run what you brung from Qatar onwards because it's sealed. The engines are sealed at that point under the current rules, unless there's any changes uh, in 22 towards that. And and Dorna and Erta and and the manufacturers will be, you know, perhaps. Perhaps they will manipulate them. Maybe they will allow a longer period of testing into the season, which would seem prudent to me um, in that, okay, we haven't got a lot of testing, so allow concessions for everybody until we get to rounds three or four or something. So there's a little more time for that transition period after we've had the the, 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 the block of, of, of uh, technical changes, allow them a little longer to, to transit all those ideas, all those new innovations into the year instead of, relying on test sessions that might be wet, might be cold, might not be, you know, might not give us what we want to test the new bits and pieces. Because if we have it under the current situation, we get to Qatar, that's the point at which you can only use what you can only use if you haven't got concessions. The other problem with the testing is that one of those tests is at uh, the new Indonesian track, isn't it? So you, you've got you've got to learn a brand new track. Got no data. Yeah, and at the same time, try and make decisions on engines, chassis, uh, you know, everything else. So, I mean, and, and that's one of only two tests next year, as you say, very little testing as there is, and, and you're going to have all these unknown factors of a, a brand new circuit at one of those tests. Yeah, well, certainly uh, all the teams and drivers looking uh, at that and trying to plan for that. At the moment, KTM's Oliveira is 10th in the standings and uh, Binder is 6th. I'll tell you who he's behind, though. He's behind. The man who, uh, in the first half of the year, was the only man challenging Guazzaro and Joan Zarco, fifth in the standings, but retired from the race. And he is the other man on my list. And I know he, he's had the arm pump issues as well. He's had the surgery. But again, uh, another retirement for him. It's just this, this is a nightmare end of the season, isn't it, for Zarco? Was it ever going to be any other way with Zarco? He's an unusual character. Uh, he's not your normal racer if there is a normal thing normal racer i suppose there is one actually thinking about that they're all mad but the point being is that zarko was never a man that i would put money on for a season comes up with something brilliant he's a great rider no doubt in motor gp this is um just looks like he has just got that kind of too many unforced errors we saw it with ktm he bailed out of ktm you know he's made a few unforced errors here and there, you think, why Why did that happen? Why, why did he, you know, what happened there? And I don't know about Zarko. I think he's one of those ones that there's such a lot going on north of the eyebrows that you, you, you wonder whether he's just a little bit too intelligent <laughs> for some of these things. Um, and I suppose there is such a thing in some riders, but I don't know. I think that Zarko, again, Kota, mistake for him. And, you know, it took him out of a, a possible point scoring situation. You would have thought he would have scored good points at, at circuit of the americas yeah i mean zarko actually cancelled his media debrief so that that shows what sort of you know how frustrated and disappointed he was as you say keith it was from what we see on the press release a very short quote of my mistake you know very disappointed i um, mean you know the good news was that he physically he seemed to be 
a lot better after this arm pump surgery, certainly going into the race. We don't know, as I say, we didn't get to speak to him after the race, so I don't know what, what state he was in with his arm during the race. But yeah, where is he? He's fifth in the world championship. I mean, the, the trouble is he has such a great start to the year that, that obviously, you know, with all those podiums, I mean, the one thing we can say is it's not over yet. I mean, he's fifth in the championship. If he, if he, what's the, the best a Pramac Ducati rider has ever been, I think is Jack Miller in seventh. So he has a chance to be, you know, the highest placed Pramac Ducati rider in the championship so far, let's say. So that's something that's still within his grasp. Obviously, his rookie teammate has won a race. That's going to hurt, isn't it? Because Zarco, you know, for all the podiums that he's had on, on several different brands of bike, he hasn't won a race yet. And from the start of the year, we thought it was just a matter of time, didn't we? But now it's you'd have to say the way things have gone, it's going to be looking like 2022 when he tries to get that win. So, yeah, it, it's not over yet, you know, but he needs to turn it around because he's dropping down the table. And, um, yeah, what is he now? You know, Brad Binder, 10 points behind. I mean, with three races to go, yeah, I mean, it's going to be close to see if he can stay in that top six and, and get that, you know, best Pramac, if you like. He definitely starts a year well. You go back to Tech 3. I mean, that first time in Qatar where it looked like he could win the race. I mean, it's a situation where, you know, he, he starts off well. But like, I think, you know, does it come under the same heading as what I went to a moment ago with the, the fact is a season is a long and wearing process. It's a hard process to work through. You've got to be a tough individual to get from one of it, one end of it to the other, not just the physical wounds that you pick up during the course of it, but the mental ones as well. It's a hard game. You know, any sport, any sport, top line sport is going to be tough mentally. And Darko just seems to have that slight fragility for me um, that we see. And it percolates into into mistakes here and there. And, mm. you know, I'd love to see him do a backflip in uh, in MotoGP. It's long overdue. I mean, I used to enjoy that kind of celebrations he had in Moto2. He was, you know, imperious. Um, but he hasn't been able to quite make that work in MotoGP yet. And I'm not sure he will. Well, it'll be a, another interesting story to watch how that one ends for this season. But at the end of all that, it was Mark Marquez who took his seventh win at the Circuit of the Americas. What has that done to the standings? Well, Fabio Quartararo is still leading 254 points to his name. Now, 52 points ahead of Bagnaya with 202. And uh, it's Joanne Mir now in third with 175. So really, Bagnaya... Um, Needed to finish ahead of quarter hour, I think, to, to really make a, a huge dent in the championship challenge there. But uh, we'll uh, come back to that a little bit later on because I want to move on now uh, to Moto2, uh, if I may. And it was Ralph Fernandez on pole looking for three victories on the trot. And that is what he got uh, because Remy Gardner, his teammate alongside him, slid out. An uncharacteristic error, perhaps, from Gardner. Saw him uh, retire from, I think, the only race this year that he's uh, done that for. Uh, and also uh, a great great results as well uh, in the top five for uh, Cameron Bovier uh, on home soil too. Keith, what did you make of the uh, Moto2 action? Unfortunate for Remy, because this was an opportunity with three rounds left to go. It was an opportunity really to, you know, put his stamp on it. Um, what it's done now is given us a great Moto2 end of season three round shootout really because it's closed down to what nine points or something I seem to remember um Ralph Fernandez is on some form if he hadn't had that you know blip I think four rounds ago he would have had four or five wins on the trot uh, that starts to wear you down when when that happens Danny Kent if you go back to Moto3 Danny Kent 2015 when he won the Moto3 world championship the British rider he absolutely slaughtered everybody in the first half of the season we had the summer break came back and all of a sudden 
he couldn't put a foot right. You know, and we got to the end of the season, he won the world title. But I tell you what, we were all biting our nails. <laughs> and I hope that's not going to happen to Remy. Um, I don't think it will, because I think Remy is he's pretty cool, isn't he, Remy Gardner now? He's he's got pace, he's 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 smart about the way he goes about his job. Raul Fernandez is a real weapon. Uh, and he's you know, he's gonna have to fight for it. And it's who makes the least mistakes. They're both really fast. But would you bet on Rail to make the most mistakes in the final three rounds or Remy? It's going to be a close call. I've got a feeling that you know Remy is not in a good position now. He might have a lead, a small one, but with the pressure that Fernandez is putting on him, it's going to be how he keeps his head together and how many mistakes he makes between now and Valencia. And of course, the next two races, they're repeat tracks, if you like, from earlier in the year. And guess which rider won at both of those tracks? The answer is. <laughs> I think you're saying big fan of, Rao, Rao. of a number twenty-five. Yeah. <laughs> the strange. I wonder where you're dogged, Pete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's having a good time by the sound of it. Anyway, yeah, I can't see. He it, does. I reckon Mum must just come. Must have just come home. <laughs> I don't know. If he's angry at something. He's not happy with how the Moto Two Championship. Yeah, oh, that's what it right was. Now. Yeah, he's not oh, maybe he's a, he's yeah, maybe he's a Remy fan. Yeah, maybe yeah. Well, it sounds like it. To be yeah. fair, either that or there's a dirty great python that's just slid in under the <laughs> shed. Worry me now. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast comes first above pythons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but you were saying, Pete? Sorry, uh, carry on. Where, where uh, yeah. So, so obviously, uh, two, the next two tracks, they're, yes. they're both circuits where where Raul won previously. So he's got that psychologically in his head that he he's beaten Remy on these tracks already. Um, you know, Remy needs to sort of reset now, doesn't he, and just sort of forget everything that's been before, not dwell on the fact that this lead has gone, and just look at it from the point of view of he's got a nine point advantage and it's a three race championship. And you, you just take it like that, isn't it? And I think that's the only way you can look at it. Everyone makes one mistake during a year, don't they? I mean, this is this is the only non-score he's had. Raul's had two already, I think. So, you know, he shouldn't be too hard on himself. But it, as Keith said, it's just really unfortunate timing, isn't it? Because we were saying previously, you know, who's going to blink first with this? Will it be Raul? Will it be Remy? You know, something was going to happen because the pressure was building with them both always first and second and challenging. And, you know, and, and now we see... You know, Remy's made this small mistake, so now let's see what happens. But fantastic end to the season for all neutral fans, shall we say. He'll want to move on to MotoGP as world champion, that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's the key here. It's something you can't go back over. This is not you can't redo the exam. It's it's there now. He's got to grab it now. He's got the the hereditary um going him, I'm sure. Bit of Wayne Gardner when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. <laughs> But on Fernandez, we should say, I think he's equaled Marquez's rookie season, hasn't he? Uh, he has already, yeah. seven And of course, Ma- Marquez didn't win the title in his rookie season. So if he, you know, that on Fernandez's side, that's a chance for him to do something exceptional there. Mark had that injury at Sepang, of course, and, and couldn't, uh, he had to sort of withdraw from Valencia in the end. And Stefan Bradl, who is now his test rider, got the title. But yeah, so if, if Raul can do that as a rookie, that will be quite something. So whichever one of them wins, it's going to be... Uh, Quite a quite a milestone, should we say? Certainly will be. He does equal Marquez's record, um, and with that, the gap is closed to nine points. Uh, and also, who had a good run? The American racing team on home soil. If we just uh, go to the uh, the 
places just outside of the podium. Cameron Bobier was, you know, challenging for a podium position in the early stages and fell da- fell down to fifth in the end. Uh, but a good run for the American and good for for MotoGP and, and Moto2 to, to have an American in the Moto2 grid and scoring well uh, on home home soil. Wind it back to what we were talking about right at the beginning of this about Cota and the state of the track and the lack of funding and all the rest of it. America is America. They are really performance orientated. You get an American that's doing the business, you will get people on trackside. You know, once they get behind their own people, you will see people turn out. The circuit of the Americas will start making money. It's a really strange situation, but America is, as I say, performance orientated. As soon as they've got someone, they can get behind and they can see an American doing the business. So, you know, it, it's a big deal for me. I think it's probably even bigger than than, than what it looked like because – Moto America series with Wayne Rainey behind it. You know, you saw Kevin Schwantz at the side of the track as well. I mean, Schwantz had a little bit to do with the building of Cota in the first place, gave a consultancy to the, the original team that were building the place. It all fell out at one point, but they all came back again on side in the end. Um, you know, the American racers are behind their own and they're pushing. You know, Moto America is looking brighter than it did and it's still a long way behind say the british superbike series or cv or any of those situations but they've produced bobier you know bobier i didn't think he'd be the man for this i i I wondered whether he would be able to step make that step into where he is now it's a big environment and he was at an age really an older age than than your average newcomer into the class he's done brilliantly well um, so I think it's it's very bright for both Moto America as a series, a domestic series, and for the likes of circuits like Cota. Once once the Americans are the old banners going out there that we've got an American to get behind, they ain't had that for a long time. It was great, wasn't it? Because Bobier is a rookie, and, and as you say, Keith, he's been racing in America. This is the first time he's been on a track that he knew. So this was where we could really see, if you like, more of a level playing field with the other guys. You know, he's been going to tracks that he's completely unfamiliar with: new bike, new track, new team, everything new. This time, he actually knew the track, and so to put on that kind of performance as a rookie, anyway, any you know whether you know the track or not, but certainly it showed what we can expect from him next year when he knows all of the other tracks as well. So it was a, a really great sign for the future, as Keith says, as well, as well as the present. Absolutely. And uh, a quick look at the Brits as well in Moto2. It was an issue for Sam Lowe's, wasn't there, Pete? Do we know what that was in the end? He was forced to retire. Yeah, something technical. Sorry, yeah, I don't know exactly yeah. what it was. But he said, <laughs> I think he, he said he'd been there from the start of the race, wasn't right. it? So, uh, yeah. Well, on the other hand, uh, Jake Dixon coming home in 10th. That was uh, one of his best results since Qatar, where I think he was 7th, wasn't he? So uh, a good run to see Dixon back in the top 10, Keith. Yeah, it was. Um, there's so many rumours flying around Jake Dixon at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I dare ring. ring. I don't, you're the, I dare one, you're ring the one, you're you're the one spreading at, them um, all. Well, it was at the British Superbikes. The, yeah. the big deal with Alton Park was a couple of weeks ago, that um, a couple of weekends ago, was that Frankie Carcetti, his manager, who is also Joanne Mir's crew chief, um, was coming to Alton Park. You know, there can only be one reason for somebody coming to Alton Park, I suppose, in Cheshire, and that's to discuss the possibilities. There's possibilities he's got in Moto2 still. I, you know, it's all on the table, but it's all a bit kick, bollock, scramble, excuse my language. Um, you know, he's trying to find a career pathway and it's really difficult for for him at the moment this Patronus thing is a nightmare because is he going to get it over Binder doesn't look like it 
you know, the, the situation with MotoGP. Where's he going to go after then? He's got to stay. For, he doesn't want to come back. He, he surely can't come back to British Superbikes. If he does, that's him done. That's his career. Not a bad place to be, by the way. You can earn money. You can ride for a good team. And you can go all day long in British Superbikes. But he's been there, done that. He needs to stay in World Championship and try and improve on where his status is at the moment. Um, so it's got to be Moto2 really minimum for him um, next year. You know, British Superbikes, you'll have a good time in British Superbikes. I, I've, the last two weekends I've spent there in that paddock, I have had a great time. Really good series, really good people, big crowds, competitive racing. You know, tracks are obviously, a, you know, like the American series. It's They're a, they're a lower level from a, an overall safety point of view. It's, you know, they're as safe as they can be, and, and a lot of money's been spent on making them that way. But you come back to a frenetic, you know, competitive environment with people that you haven't perhaps raced with for a year or two, and they're all out. He's got a target on his back if he comes back to British Superbikes. Um, you know, and, and there are some very fast men in British Superbikes. So it's no, it's no foregone conclusion that he's going to come back from Grand Prix and win the British Superbike Championship. He's going to have to bloody work hard for it if he is. And as a rider, I always remember what it was like for, for the likes of Neil McKenzie, Donnie McLeod, myself. We'd come back from Grand Prix back into, into national racing um, for a weekend because that's what you did back in the day. And you'd be... Fast, of course, because you were absolutely on your very best. You were at your best. Whatever level that was, you were at your best when you came back from Grand Prix. But all of a sudden, you get some bloke who'd ram it up the inside of you. You think, who the hell is that? I don't even recognize him. Don't know his name or anything. And, you know, you'd be in a qualifying session. <laughs> there is no quarter asked or given when you're back in a domestic series. Everyone is pushing and shoving. Um, my advice would be, and I'm sure that Frankie Carcetti is trying to force it as well, is that you stay in World Championship and try and make your um, your life there if you're good enough. And I think Jake hasn't really shown us that. I don't think actually Jake's got to the point. The dog doesn't agree. <laughs> I don't think Jake has um, I don't think Jake has actually got to the point where he should get to in World Championships yet. I think he, he's, he's on, he was on the cusp and it just hasn't quite happened for him. I think there's more still from Jake. I think he hasn't made the step that I would have expected from him. I think uh, his best chance in, in Moto2, it sounds like, might be Aspar. I think that that, the, the, which was the team he rode for previously, of course. So it sounds like he's, he's got a chance to, to stay in Moto2 with them. Um, as Keith was saying, they're definitely hot. There were, there were definitely some hot rumours and some talk with BSB. I think maybe a Yamaha. Um, but it seems like this chance has come up maybe just over this 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 Kota weekend, and that looks the the best chance for for Jake at the moment, probably Aspar. Um, the, the moment they had the speed up or the Boscoscuro, they call it the chassis now. They changed the name, didn't they? But uh, I think it it might go back to um, to a Calix next year. So Calix would be good for him. Uh, he got on good with Calix. Interesting, the Boscoscuro, isn't it? The speed up team, but on the Boscoscuro <laughs> chassis um, that we've got, buddy. Fanati moved across. It was like Fanati has just announced that he is going to be in the uh, Boscoscuro camp on the Moto2 bike, which I'm quite excited about, I've got to say. I think um, he'll certainly give us some fireworks one way or another, that's for sure, because we can guarantee that from Romano. I'm looking forward to it. That's right. So he'll be returning to the Moto2 class, which he sort of got kicked out of after that two-race ban, which perhaps takes us on to Moto3 this weekend, where we've seen the first two race bands since that moment. And, uh, yeah, I think we, we all understand why. 
Yeah, it certainly does. Pete, you're ahead of the game there. Um, but we are running out of time, so we will move it on. I'll just round that off in Moto2 because it, it was, of course, uh, Ralph Fernandez uh, ahead of Fabio Antonio and Marco Bezzecchi. Standings-wise, it is now just nine points between the top two. So that really sets us up for a really great finale for Moto2 and Bezzecchi with 206 points in third. Uh, but yes, let's turn our attention to Moto3 and... I mean, where do you start? If you're listening to us or you're watching us, it's more than likely you know exactly what's happened and you've seen uh, the incident we will be focusing on here. At the end of it all, it was Isaac Guevara who was claimed the winner uh, ahead of Dennis Foggia and John McPhee on the podium. But it was not a uh, simple way of getting there, was it? Uh, Keith, <laughs> let's start. I think we've got to start with with the incident, haven't we? Your thoughts on it, because, I mean, it involved Acosta, Minya, Alcoba, and it's deemed to have been caused and very much looked at the time by Dennis Onju, who has, as Pete has just said, received uh, a ban for two Grand Prix. Your thoughts on it? We're in trouble, aren't we, with these smaller classes? You know, it's across the board. We are, I mean, and it's percolating across the world as well. Again, into British superbikes, in the support classes that are there. You've got youngsters on equal machinery. You know, there seems to be, I, I, I kind of seem to remember being slightly dismissive of Pete's education um, comment last time round when we discussed this. Probably unfairly now that I think about it after after you put it there, because, I, you know, I was a young rider once and I really enjoyed a fight. There's no doubt about it. It's bloody good fun, pushing, shoving, that that instinctive maneuvering that you do as a youngster on a bike you're ahead of the game you're you're learning every single yard that you turn um but maybe there is more to it than 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 what i'm thinking because it's it's happening everywhere at the moment the the racing is so close the bikes are so close in performance the riders are so close in their abilities there does need to be another dimension here Race bands, yes, of course. I think we do need race bands. I think that that's the only way you're going to really, really impress upon a, a, a serial offender is to to ban them. And I think fine the team as well, because if you penalise the team financially, um, they all feel it. It's then some of you know, once you've got a bit of skin in the game, a bit of money in the game, um, it's going to cost them as well as losing points, as well as not having their rider out there. You know, I don't know what the substitution rules are when somebody's been banned. I think you can still bring another rider in, can't you? So it's, uh, it's I think you can, um, because otherwise it affects the show, and Dorna are a hundred percent against affecting the show. Um, <laughs> although, of course, conversely, we are affecting the show by having youngsters um, killed and and injured. And again, this weekend, really, really lucky not to have someone hurt in this this incident. Um, it kind of stumbled its way to a result in the end with just a few laps in the end we had a straight sprint race at the end to, to get to where we got to and well hey John McPhee managed to avoid all the carnage um normally someone knocks him off or, or gets him involved in in their accident so McPhee on the podium brilliant really happy for the Scott but the wider issue is you've got to be draconian there, you know somewhere along the lines here there have got to be uh Maybe, you know, Pete will we'll expand on maybe, and I know you will do, uh, expand on that idea of education. Okay, let's let's talk about education. How can we educate these kids? You ain't going to be able to keep telling them, you know, it's like if, if I tell my kids what they should do, 
<laughs> there's no chance. Yeah, there's absolutely no chance. I mean, exactly. And I would agree with that. The last thing you want is people like a headmaster talking to a, a bunch of pupils. Yeah, I, I would phrase it more as advice. So I would take people like almost maybe the current MotoGP riders, some of those guys, the most experienced guys in the class, and get those guys to talk to them and go, look, when you're in a pack, this is what happens. This is what you need to watch out for. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. And this is why. And, and that kind of thing that just might maybe, you know, we always hear about riders being caught out when they get a double slipstream, for example, because they just, they weren't aware that that's what happens. And suddenly they get sucked into the braking zone because they they haven't been in that group slipstream. Maybe they've done testing as a rookie. They've done testing on their own. Suddenly you're in a race, you're in a pack of riders, that kind of thing. Um, I think the, the trouble is, Pete, these guys are experienced from CEV, from rookies, from CIV. You know, they do have that race crafting experience. But what they are doing, and they are prepared to put it on the line at a very early age. I think that the, the kind of – I think they do have the tools to be able to do that. I think that you're right in having a more experienced person in advising them. I think there needs to be – not just there needs to be a package, doesn't there, Pete? I, I think there needs to be a, a package, a performance package that 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 makes a Moto Three bike less happy in a slipstream situation. You need to find that particular technicality that that will make it not such an attractive package in that, and that could come down to gearing. I think penalty-wise, we need perhaps I think I mentioned it before. Maybe we get a, a rev penalty for someone that's involved in it. So they are taken out effectively. They're still in the race but they're not going to be fighting for the lead if they've lost 200 revs or whatever it might be dialed in through the electronics, through the ECU. Um, I think that they need a meeting in the morning and one in the evening of every day. I think it's almost like a situation where a reminder, a refresher. Now then, this is what happened last time. You did this, you did that. Yeah, you know, private. It has to be obviously private and behind. You know, it's not, not like you've got to pick on people for performing which again is something that, that can happen we're dealing with kids at the end of the day you don't want to undermine them um you want them to perform to their very very best but i mean how do you make motorsport safe at the end of the day when someone is hit by another motorcycle and that's really the thing that causes the the, the most devastating of injuries there's very little legislation you can do about that there's not much you can do it you can slow the bikes down so Riders have a split second more to see what's happening around them, in front of them, and so on. You know, if you're approaching something at 145 miles an hour, um, it all happens. You know, someone will be able to work it out for me, I'm sure. It'll all happen a lot quicker, it, obviously, than if you're approaching it at 90 to 100 miles an hour. Will it make the racing any 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 worse? Probably not. Um, but I always think that's more like a a national come international kind of. Uh, rule that needs to be done. Moto3 is a Grand Prix class. So we come back then to the overall answer for me is you don't have anybody under 16, maybe 18, in the Moto3 class. They have to stay back in the National Series until they've done their kind of apprenticeship and we get to the actual Grand Prix at a certain age. I think maybe trying to get kids to act responsibly on a motorbike on an international racetrack, when you've got thousands of people watching you and cheering you and you're earning money and you're getting big trophies and standing on podiums, I mean, it's intoxicating. It is an incredible – I mean, what kid wouldn't do everything he could? I, I just I just find it – it fries my brain thinking about it, and I'm sure there's a lot of fried brains down in MotoGP at the moment and how they can try and 
mitigate this disaster that we've had this year with three kids being killed? I think specifically, just looking specifically at this incident. So what happened was that that uh, Onchu slipstreamed past Alcoba and then, to use the words of the penalty, swerved across in front of him. Now, there's no excuse for that. You know, yes, they're kids. They can make mistakes under braking, overtaking, tapping other riders. But they need to know you can't be swerving on the straight. There's no... But Mark Marquez has done that year on year in his early years, taking up that area into a braking point, into a braking area. Marquez, you know, slipstream gets alongside, and then soon you just move you over onto the white line. I've seen it times. It's Many, many top riders have done that. Um, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah, so that's what, but that's maybe, what, maybe that was that what I was just going to say, is that half the grid have done this. You know, that's the point. This shouldn't be like, this is Dennis Onchu, and it's only, this is, you know, he's the only guy that's ever made this mistake. Pekka Banyaya said, you know, look at Rodrigo at Barcelona on the straight. He was doing a similar thing. The, the surprise really is, why wasn't this clamped down on sooner? You know, they should have done this sooner. They've, they've let, once you let people do that kind of thing and not be punished, all these young guys learn, don't they? They learn, right, that's the limit. I'm going to push right to the limit then. If, if you're going to let people do that, that's what I'll do. And I think they have drawn this line in the sand. It was interesting, the penalty mentioned an email that had been sent to the teams and riders. So I think that they had warned them, look, things have changed. We won't tolerate this. And that was, you know, that was in, that's not normally in the penalty. Normally, I mean, the penalties are brief anyway from what we get on the public side. So this was unusual to see that this went against something that, you know, information that had been sent to the teams in an email. So they'd obviously been warned, presumably after these, these tragic accidents that we've had, that they would be clamping down on, on conduct or dangerous, aggressive riding. And so, you know, it's no surprise. But I think no surprise that this two-race ban has been given. But I think, why, you know, why wasn't this done sooner? Um, but there we are. They've drawn a line now and, and you know, let's hope I'm, that I'm things not, improve. I've not been party to, to, the, to that letter. I've not seen it, to be honest with you. But, I mean, I think that there is a point there that we've sort of skirted around. The, the, the overtaking and then moving across to take the line, um, you have a similar rule in cars, I think, Harry, where you can make one move going down into the, the braking area. Um, I think we should have no move. If you are on the inside, on on the, if you've just passed someone, you can't cut across the nose of somebody. I think if it's specific, and it's penalised accordingly. But again, how often is that a, the overall problem? It's not. It's just one of um of many um, manoeuvres that you see in the smaller classes. The word respect. I just, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be the man that had to sit on any kind of committee to try and work this through. It is a, it is a very very difficult subject, which is why I think a raft of of, of different penalties, a raft of recommendations regarding the technicalities of the bikes and obviously the education thing, Pete, that you you quite rightly have brought to our attention last time we discussed this. I, I mean, just, just to say where, what I had in mind, and you, you would know more about that, is that the rookie system for the Isle of Man TT. You know, when, when people go to that race for the first time, I think I've, I saw a TV documentary, I think it was, and, and they get taken around in the course car by a more experienced rider and they're shown that that was basically what I was thinking, that kind of system where you have someone just trying to take out the obvious errors, shall we say, of, of, of riders when, they, when they're when they doing something for the first time. But, yeah, as you say, so, people... Sorry, I'm smiling and I'm not being flippant, <laughs> but I just had Cliff Richard in a red bus going around the Isle of Man with all the new riders with their orange jackets <laughs> singing, we're, we're all going on a summer holiday. Sorry. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, Milky, Milky Quail, who is a local man to the TT, obviously knows it absolutely backwards, and he does, and he takes the rookies round. 
and advises them on on corners, what can catch you out on places like that. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever been around a TT course, but I mean, I think the first mile, and I was already I was already dead on my feet when when I did the first. You know, there's so many things there to try and take in, but probably not a bad idea in reality because you know, again, it's getting kids to listen. It's got to be a, a combination of things. I mean, I think let's throw it open. Let's see what anybody watching the Crash dot net podcast has to say. What are what, you know, what are your observations? Because quite often, out of nowhere, other people that maybe a little bit further removed from it than we are can come up with something that makes quite good sense. And you go, oh yeah, that's quite a good idea. I quite like that. And we'll pass it on. Yeah. I mean, I still deal. I still talk with Mike Trimby at Erta regularly. You know, and I know that they are so concerned. But the image situation, as well as the the, the, the life situation that, that they've got with with kids being, you know, there have been people that have been killed in, in Grand Prix over many, many, many years. It's been minimised a lot over those years. But um, when you've got, you know, three kids in different categories, you know, related to the ladder to where we are at the moment, it's, it is a devastating situation. And Moto3 has been a little bit, a little bit loose for a little bit long, hasn't it, really? I mean, I think they've allowed things to get away in qualifying, in practice. You know, th- th- there are rules there and, and they do get used, but it, it almost seems like that example that I think you were looking for, Pete, needs to be made. It needs to be much stricter. Um, and that might then filter back down through the categories that that um, are racing below Moto3 that will be feeding moto three at a later stage absolutely no what a horrible I, subject i know well it's it but you know it, we could it could have been worse this weekend we could have been very easily talking about you know the fourth young rider uh, to have died this year thank the lord we didn't but uh, at the same time it just once again highlights the ongoing issues and you know the word respect was brought up a lot across the broadcast this weekend does that come under the education banner is there an inherent lack of respect amongst the young riders when racing each other do they not feel the fear that perhaps they 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 should have a little bit of so do let us know in, in the comments your thoughts on this uh, on youtube twitter instagram crash.net and crash uh, net moto gp just have a look for that we are very rapidly running out of time but i think that was uh, we have to have to absolutely um give that the time of day let's just talk about um the final actual results which were declared from uh before the first when the first red flag was flown uh, if we get our heads around that and it was despite having actually ended up sort of retiring from the race in the final sprint it was Guevara who took his first win after a very stroppy outburst in the garage once he uh, came in when his bike uh, uh, basically uh, died and then Foggia in second and John McPhee on the podium he was in the lead though wasn't he on for a win in those final sprint races but uh, uh, a, a good podium there Keith what do you make of it? McPhee's a great experienced rider and he will have been making the most out of out of what he'd got at the time. I mean, the circumstances around it, at the end of the day, you can only do your best with it. And I think that was where McPhee was at. I mean, you know, avoiding that situation is, you know, crucial. I mean, I'm happy for him, but I mean, the circumstances of the race at the end of the day were were difficult, I think. I mean, no, you know, it's good to see him on the podium. I think that's as far as I go with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was the first win for uh, Guevara, Hedda Foggia and McPhee. Foggia takes 12 points away from Acosta, who does still uh, collect the points for eighth place because, of course, we go to uh, count back where they were before the red 
flag. So it's now 30 points between Acosta and Foggia for the top of the standings. Garcia uh, in uh, third as well. Um, and that just about does it, I think, for uh, our uh, MotoGP podcast this week. Thank you so much uh, for your company. And Keith and Pete, as ever, always a pleasure uh, to listen to your wonderful tones. We've got a little bit of a break. Well, MotoGP has at least a couple of weeks until we go back uh, to Misano. And to avoid confusion, they've, they've of course, named it the Emilio-Romagna Grand Prix uh, from the 22nd to the 24th of October. We'll be back then and we will be back before then as well. Um, to Fill the gap that you may otherwise have in your schedule. So don't miss out. Make sure you're subscribed in all the usual places, YouTube, uh, Google Podcasts, Android and iTunes, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave us a review. Uh, if you like the podcast, stay up to date with all the very latest MotoGP news on Crash.net. And from all of us, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.